0: Tonight, I'd like to talk about the non-doing of practice. First, we have to realize the depth of the problem of doing. And by doing, I mean um, self-influence, willpower, control, effort, Tasking our life, accomplishments, you know, the things that are encouraged in the workplace. Isn't it interesting that the qualities we most care about are not those qualities that are engendered in the workplace? Qualities like sensitivity of the heart, honesty, openness, kindness, compassion, sincerity, authenticity. Why do we never put one-to-one together and realize that when you employ, when you give yourself over to the employment of that kind of force of will, that the qualities that come out are what we see in the majority of workers and corporations? Why does that not... And yet it's not the ones that necessarily that is the most endearing that calls, our, calls forth our heart. I find that very interesting that we, I don't know. And yet the incentives towards doing are enormous. In fact, it's one of the first things that you ask somebody who you don't know, what do you do? It's a way of summarizing your character. It will be quite likely the first thing you're asked when you leave here. What did you do? Good luck with the answer. Because you could begin to see um, that we, when we give our life over to the service of our self interests, of what Carol was talking about the I, me, and mine, it's really the I, me, and the wine. then that's the, the, these are the character patterns that we face. These are the character patterns that we face. Those are the, these are the character patterns, the, the patterns that we find when we sit, which are so difficult to endure, and we see so obviously the fault, the limitation of that's what we engender. That's how we've engendered it through the culture. Through our need to do, through our need to task, We believe, uh, tasking is a very interesting thing, you see. Another cultural imperative is that we believe in science and technology, that every problem can be resolved if we just apply sufficient tools and methodology. We've been very lucky And so, of course, given the emphasis on doing and the emphasis on the validity of tasks and techniques and methodology, we come to practice that way. How else can we come? It's not a fault. It's what we're given. And we set out to construct our spiritual life. Oh <laughs> i I say that, and Carol knows me from my earlier days i was the I was the best doer you ain't seen nothing till you seen me do <laughs> Sitting and walking sit and walking uh, uh, just the resolve of an iron heart to the point where in the middle of a Month-long retreat that both Carol and I were doing. Actually, the teacher took me off and she said, "I don't want you to do anymore." And I said, "What does that mean? I, I have no <laughs> idea. I don't know. I don't know what, what would life be without that. I have no. I, I was lost." He said, "Good. You're going to have to find yourself anew." Because I believed in it. And I remember um, a teacher uh, saying one time uh, in a group interview that I was a part of, and, uh, and I had been practicing not for about three years. And he said, you know, uh, I'm hoping that you have a deeper, deeper sense of, uh, of abiding relaxation, uh, that each of us should be feeling uh, a, this deeper sense of contentment. And, and that's not what I was feeling at all. I thought to myself, I didn't express it to the group. I thought, oh, God, I'm not feeling that at all. If anything, I was feeling a greater hurt, a greater pain. And that cued me that some something was amiss, and I wasn't quite sure what it was, and it took me a great deal more time to figure it out, but... signaled somehow that my practice was going in a direction that was, could be uh, wrong for me. We stay in the service of our effort, and uh, I don't mean, I mean unwise effort. Then the doing begins to corrupt our spiritual practice, and we find the same character building within our spiritual practice that built on the job. Did it ever occur to us that those qualities that we truly respond to, those qualities of heart, may be in non doing Maybe they're a given. Maybe the pressure is off. Maybe they're already here. And the practice is really the uncovering, is the recovering from the doing to allow those to come forth. Maybe. Where it most often gets stuck is in the self-doubt. When we look at our life, when we look at our minds, when we look at our bodies, we see nothing of much holy significance in it. We don't see much sacredness. In fact, we see just the opposite. Most of us, especially in the West, see insufficiency. And so when we hear compassion, love, sincerity, honesty... We feel like there's a whole task ahead of us to get anything close to that. You know, the one common factor in almost every interview is your sincerity. Often to the point where you don't even recognize it. And you know, for me, it's the only thing of value. All of the content and the story and all of the uh, drama, drama that comes, plays forth, is nothing? It's just—it's insignificant unless, the, if the sincerity is there, it's insignificant. If the sincerity isn't there, then it's huge. Anything can be worked with with sincerity. And it's, I can see it. I mean, why would you spend ten days sitting on your behinds <laughs> so you can tell somebody you have spent ten days in? <laughs> It doesn't look good on your resume. (laughs) When I came back uh, from Asia, I'd been sitting for uh, eight straight years and I applied for a job with this big hole in my resume of eight years. And trying to explain those eight years. <laughs> Never mind, I'll save you. Now, what does the practice offer in terms of non doing? How does it help counter the conditioning of the working cultural environment? That's an important question. And it's one we better come to terms with or we're going to continue to try to make gold out of iron ore when it's already gold. How does it work? And I thought what I'd do tonight um, is to walk you through the teachings, uh, the technique as we teach it. And show that what we have been pointing at really is non doing. As Carol mentioned this morning, and I want to re emphasize, none of the instructions are it. You know, we talk about choiceless awareness versus one pointedness on the breath. And each of these practices have their validity and their limitation, and there's not one of them that you settle on as being the higher of them all. But there is, in the course of practice, greater non doing. That is an indication of where the practice goes. And we start out by talking about relaxation as a pointer, not as an environment that you could feel stress free and now you can start doing things better within an environment of relaxation. That's most how we think of it. But relaxation is itself non-doing. It's itself appointing. Relaxing. To relax, we can't hold the world at stress level, at attention level. Why do we do that? Because we're busy doing the world. And so when we relax, the, the muscles, the neurons, what catches us? What catches us? Why don't you just go into, you know, if it's, all about, if it's always been about me and what I can do, when I relax, what catches us? You see, something's there. But we don't trust it. It's disappointing here. <clears throat> I was teaching a I taught teenager, teenagers a teen class. <clears throat> and one of the youngest teens there, I think she was 14. She took applied the instruction. And then <clears throat> the next week we check in with each other to see how their practice went. <clears throat> And she told me, she said, um, I want to tell you this, I was at home and my family always works up into some kind of froth and and drama. And and I was sitting on the couch and I saw that what I usually do is get um, going right along with everybody. And I said, wait a second, I can choose relaxation. And I just, when I chose that, this is a 14-year-old. When I chose that, the drama continued to swirl around me, and I saw them trying to bring me into it. And when I didn't go according to plan, the whole thing leveled out. Fourteen years old. You see, when we allow the sense of relaxation in... We are setting the intention, what again what Carol spoke about, of ease of well being. It's not a metaphrase only. It's what relaxation, what non doing allows. This is the this is what comes forth. Ease and receptivity. Receptivity Right? When you're relaxed, there's receptivity. The whole of the Dharma comes through being receptive. In fact, you could define non-doing in terms of learning. Don't make the mistake of thinking that non-doing is inaction. Non-doing is relaxed receptivity, learning. When we're learning, are we opinionating or we're not learning? We can, If we voice our opinions, our criticism, our qualifiers, then we have cut ourselves off from the learning. But when we're willing just to open, and here comes the risk, we hold ourselves partially open because we don't want the wrong. we don't want to learn the wrong things and we don't have enough self-trust to believe that we will know the difference between what's right and wrong. So we hold ourselves sort of half closed and half open in a protective stance to learning. And we do this inwardly as well when we start watching our minds to ward off and as we begin to instruct about settling back, just allowing things to come in on their terms, on their terms, it takes away the power of influence, which is the only power that we feel we've had. Just, just, just this—just what's in, you. just what's coming—and yet, the need to rush and be anxious within the meditation retreat continues, doesn't it? I remember myself um, more than once. Um, hearing the bell somewhere where I'm far away and rushing to the hall to get here so that I can have ease of (laughs) well-being. But as we begin to relax and receive life on its terms, remember that one. What we're receiving is life, inward, outward expressions of life, on its terms. Making no demands upon it is another way of saying on its terms. This is the art. This is where the practice addresses. This is where our teaching, our techniques point, on its terms. We find less being less influenced by time. This is is huge, because doing and time are really one and the same. In fact, we're so uh, interested in productivity and the efficiency of doing that we talk about wasting time, saving time, as if it were a commodity. And anything that disrupts the commodity in terms of my doing, like having to be in a traffic jam, creates enormous angst in us. Why? Because we're wasting time. This is what we live with. We believe this. It's insane. It's all your time. It's your time in a traffic jam. And so when we begin to feel less influenced by time, Less influenced by time. In fact, we begin to see that time, the sense of time, and the sense of me arise together. Three o'clock is where you are at three o'clock. It's not something outside of those events. It's not something happening to you. And when you live, abide with the receptivity quality of just receiving life, you feel it. How could anything be outside of that? And the softness of mind that comes from that sense of receptivity, and the gentleness of being, the gentleness of being, and the softness, that the mind becomes pliable in that receptivity. It becomes open. It becomes fluid. It's not hardened in doing and tasking, in hurrying in the rushing of life. It's hardened. It, it's brittle. It breaks. But in the fluidity, in the movement, in the receptivity, you see, the gentleness, the gentleness. Just feel it in your heart. You know the words are true because you can feel them in your heart. You know this. Why don't we do it? And of course, that's the the medium of insight. The medium of insight is to set the environment of non doing, which is the environment of learning, you see? Or, said differently, the environment of listening. And then, in the non doing, in the receiving of life on its own terms, we begin to see it, to see what's in front of our eyes which is different, a different perspective of life when we are manipulating it on our terms. That's what insight is. The difference is whether it's on our terms or its terms. That's, when we see it on its terms, that's an insight. How are we going to see it on its terms? Do <laughs> you see? It's so interesting when you start looking at it. The whole thing just makes so much sense. And one of the things I often suggest when people um, get lost in thought and before they come right back to the object of the breath, to go back to relaxation so that we know what this thing's about. And secondly, it dispels the attitude of having made a mistake. I got lost in thought and all of the sense of unforgiveness that comes around having been lost for 15 minutes how awful you are which is which are which is which are the patterns of doing when you're doing comparison evaluation it's all about you And you're not going to make it on your own. You've got to look across the aisle and see what the other person is doing so you know how well you're doing because doing has its has a comparative quality within it. I'm doing good or I'm not doing good. You see? Non doing has no compare there's nothing to compare. What am I doing non doing better than he's non doing? (laughs) You see, it's off the scale. It's off the scale. How many times do we go back again and again? Oh, she sits so well. She sits so straight. She must be a Buddha. And here I am, wiggling and wearing. And I can't even know. I don't even know whether to follow my breath or follow. I don't know. (laughs) The, The misery we create ourselves, it's all self created through our doing. Through our doing. Through our doing. And then when we return, when we return to the... We begin again, you see. Now, here's a fresh start. I mean, there's no backlog of mistakes here. I start... I have been lost 20 minutes. And I begin again. Forgiveness. Absolution of your sins. You are absolutely resolved of your sins. That's it. Beginning again. Okay. Okay. And if we don't carry with us the attitude of doing into the non-doing, forgiveness is there. Oh, good. Okay. Beginning again. See, you can't fail. Well, you can if you just don't begin again. But if you're willing to begin again, there's no failure. I love that. Nobody fails. It's not even pass-fail, it's just pass. (laughs) You can put that on your resume. I passed the course. (laughs) (laughs) And the sense of self-kindness that comes in the non-doing. It's only the doing that will breed discontempt. It's only the doing. But in the non-doing, you see, in the non-doing, where is there anything to dislike? Because we're not comparing it. We're not judging it. Judging is doing. Judging is bringing those old strategies to bear upon this new. No, that doesn't work in this field. We keep trying to make it work, but it keeps misfiring. It's caps, blanks. Therein lies kindness. The heart comes out. Kindness. You see, again... Don't think of non-doing as being this blank space of doing nothing. It's tremendously vital. Tremendously energetic. In fact, it's tremendously relieving because the burden of it is not on you. It's not your doing. Isn't that what I... (laughs) And if you let go of thought, this is, I, I, this is when you're letting go of thought. You're letting go of the doing. You're willing to because the thought is where the doing comes from. When you're meshed in that, that's it's telling you all sorts of lies about how this and that about you and this and you've got to try this and you, you're going to fail that and all of the. All of that is the doing of thought. And where does doing the non doing is in the release of thought, releasing ourselves from thought. And you know what? It may be the first time you've touched something that you have not influenced or created, that is not yours to own. because it's beyond influence. And you know in your heart, the resonance is there. You know immediately the genuine, the authenticity of that. And then somehow, when you really abide there, I I don't know why it takes so long because the qualitative difference between that and the doing is so transparent. It's so clear. I think it's just because of the momentum of the doing in our life. That we, that we, we give up everything to go back and be somebody. Somebody. It's like you go to a king and he says, I can offer you anything in my kingdom, anything. And you say, well, I'll take a pineapple. (laughs) (laughs) So then the instruction moves to sustaining our attention upon the breath and seeing the object clearly. Because when we do that in our non-doing, we begin to understand what that object is. We can't understand it as long as there is a tone of possessiveness within that operation. When it's my breath, then there's all the my's around that breathing and it's It's just filled with the trauma of me finding my breath and all of that. But when we rest and can just see breath, see breath, rest with breath, rest one's attention, rest, rest, rest on the breath. Don't clutch it. That's doing. Just rest. See, through one object, you see the nature of all objects. Thank you for allowing me to share.. Whoa. And then the instructions move out yet again to whatever is most predominant in your experience. So now we're not choosing. We're not selective. It cuts through selectivity. When we're on their breath, we just stay on our breath. That may be very, very tranquil, very wonderful. And we may be staying there because it's so wonderfully pleasant. But when we move out, we're moving out. We're freeing up the consolidation of self around the beauty of the breath. The self is beginning to coagulate there. Now, when we're moving out to what's predominant, you can no longer solidify your choice of, I want to go here. This is the place. No, it's what's predominant. Sometimes pain is the most predominant thing. In fact, it's, it rotates. So you stay light on your feet and the doing can't collect around it. And each time you stop and you bring our attention to bear upon what is predominant, we begin to understand its intrinsic harmlessness. Because you see that what is harmful, the problem is what we're bringing to the object. The object itself is benign. In fact, it contains your very life. To discard anything, it's to discard part of yourself. And you see that. See, these these instructions, they're they're gems, really. Gems of teaching in themselves. Trying to awaken us from the doing of our lives. To wake us up from the mechanism, the mechanical quality, which we can be very good at excellent walkers, I know how to do this, this happens, I go here, I go to this sensation, Then, if that sensation happens, I go back this way. And then when that mechanism happens, I go to this sensation that sees the pleasantness of that. I mean, we can be extraordinary in our mechanization. But where's the heart? Where's the contentment? If you were in a group and the teacher said, I hope your practice is leading to greater and greater contentment, when you're mechanizing, is it? You'll be a very efficient and effective meditator. And we, see, we begin to see that the doing comes from the inattention, not the attention. When there's attention, we can see through the doing. And the link between the need to pay attention and the survival of those qualities that are most important to me, authenticity, compassion, love, sincerity, are not available. Those are not even, you can't even begin to know them without attention. And we see that. And then the harmlessness. When we see the harmlessness, when we go to the what's predominant, we see that, that thing, that object, that emotion, that physical sensation, that contraction, that sense of me, Within kindness, the kindness of non-doing, it's kind. It's kind. It's kindness meeting kindness. I don't care what it is. It's kindness. It all has the same flavor in that way. Okay. Now I'm not afraid of it anymore. And there gets this deep sense of confidence and conviction that nothing needs to be feared. Nothing. Nothing. Even fear. What's it going to do? In fact, it's you start seeing, like you'll see a, a, a horror movie, and Godzilla will be coming down New York City, and everybody will be screaming and yelling in the path of its big feet. And you wonder, why are they doing that? Why are they running? It just isn't worth the run. <laughs> just... not it it's just not worth that. It's not worth just step on me. I would rather do that than <laughs> So how many of you but bought duct tape? <laughs> it's not worth it. And then we come to the level of instruction today, which was choicelessly non-doing, choicelessly. Where we just where objects are relatively known, our sustaining quality of mind is rich, and there are moments when we can just relax in that whole plethora of events that are occurring without selecting them out, and everything is seen, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful sense of it. And it shows that what we learn from in that choicelessness is that awareness is intrinsic. That it's intrinsic to the organism, to non-doing. Does not even effort, even awareness, even mindfulness does not have to be imposed, is not, some, is not effortful. And yes, we lose our way many, many, many times. So then we go back to the breath, or we go back to the object of our, whatever's predominant, and we, and that's fine. That's the whole way it unfolds. But we know that there's an intrinsic awareness, pristine. That is not of my doing. And we feel its power. We feel the intelligence, not my intelligence, the intelligence of life itself. Because in that pristine clarity, there's enormous discernibility. And yet, the heart of unification. And we got into that space through non-doing, not through our efforts to be free, as Krishnamurti said. Our efforts to be free were the conditioned rumblings of a spiritual seeker. But if there is sincerity in that speaker, they'll put seeker. They'll put that doing down very quickly because it will not feed their spiritual satisfaction, their spiritual contentment. It may feed their mental need to be somebody, but it will not feed the spiritual contentment, the yearning. This is not a labor intensive practice. It's a practice of release and relaxation, release and relaxation. What makes it seem so difficult is our fear. As if we have been supporting ourselves all along the way. And the space... The things bring, the space of awareness, awareness when, when seen as in its intrinsic quality, it's like the space in this room. Objects come in and out and move around, the space does not move walls, demolish the building, the space is still here. We cannot destroy, alter, change. It's forever. It's infinite. Objects come and go. The moment changes. The objects come and go. This moment is different than the next moment. But the now does not change. And it's the now that is the pointing of the Buddha. All this focus on a Nietzsche and change was to see that it's not reliable. To retract the tentacles of the need for it so that the now Which holds all the moments can be seen, can be known, can be intimated. So I want to send you out of here since it's the last. Until the last day, I'll, I'll talk on the last day, but I want, to, I want to send you out of here with a way to move in the world of activity with non-doing. Because non-doing is not necessarily in conflict with activity. So seek first to understand before being understood. Don't lead with your attempt for people and things and pla- to be understood. Seek first when you go into a situation to understand. And you will be set up in that situation. You will be postured towards non-doing. Non-doing. The techniques, the practices, they'll come and go. That's part of the furniture in the room. The non-doing remains. Can we sit for a minute or two? So relax. Let what is catch you, not your fear. Just relax. You'll still be supported. Feel the heart come out in relaxation. Feel the quality of what your life is from relaxation. Feel the qualitative difference and establish a determined intention that this will be the way of your life. Come what may, I will move to greater contentment, greater ease of well-being.